So we want to get back to Wednesday night group. It's been a while. And I've heard from a few of you, actually, uh, that you want to hear, talk more about, and learn more about the end times. So we're going to look at the book of Revelation and the end times and I'm sure current events in the light of the end times or the end times in the light of current events will come up. So um, as long as there are people showing up, we will meet on Wednesday nights at 6.30. We'll be here at 6.30. It will be more of a, uh, I don't want it to be just a lecture. So we're going to rearrange the chairs and have a lot of group interaction. So lots of room for questions. All questions are good questions, and uh, we'll, we will dig deep into Revelation and other places and see what the Lord has to say about these times we are living in. So that's going to start this week on Wednesday night. Okay. Title today is, I Am Walking on the Water. And that phrase, I am, is in quotes, and you'll see why as we get into this. So I want to start in Exodus 3, verse 13, just as a backdrop to what is going on here, if you're not familiar. This is the place in history, about 1400 B.C., roughly, and God's people, the Hebrews, are, have been in slavery in Egypt for 400 years. And so in this passage of Exodus 3, this is Moses' commissioning. Moses has been in the wilderness in Midian. He's been living as a shepherd alone for 40 years, and God has been preparing him to be the leader, the one who leads God's people out of Egypt, out of slavery. And that's just a whole sermon in itself. If you are in any kind of a wilderness season in your life, don't ever under, under, discount or underestimate that. It's, it can be preparation or not. You get to decide. You can waste it and grumble your way through and come out with nothing. Or you can say, Lord, I, what are you teaching me? I want everything I can get out of this. It's a very valuable time. And so through that 40 years, 40 years in the wilderness as a shepherd, God was preparing Moses to be the leader because he thought he was ready 40 years prior, if you know that story. He thought he was ready, and <laughs> he found out he wasn't ready. <laughs> he had some temperament to deal with and things. So God is commissioning him, and God shows up to him, and basically in this chapter, he says, I, you're the one. You're the one. I want you to go to Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go. And, you know, he, at, by this time, he's been so humbled and broken by the wilderness that he, he says, no, I'm not the one. I can't, I can't do this. And um, I'm paraphrasing. You can read the chapter. He says, who am I, verse 11, that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? So God said, verse 12, I will certainly be with you, and this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. So this is the key, verse 13. Then Moses said to God, indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and then he's going to tell them why he sent them. He's going to tell them, God has sent me to deliver you from 400 years of slavery. 
I'm getting you all out of here. And he says, God, they're going to ask me who it is that sent me. And you should. I mean, when somebody says, God told me, you ought to find out if it's true. <laughs> I'll get to that. Uh, so he says, uh, Moses said to God, indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me, and they say to me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? This might seem a strange question. I mean, this is Moses. This is Moses. He knows the God of Israel. It might seem strange that he would want to know, God, what do I tell them when they ask me what your name is? See, up till now, they've, the people of Israel ha have known God or, as, as a title, El, God Almighty. But what Moses is asking is, God, who are you? Because the ancients put a lot, took names seriously. And so they named someone, a person was named according to their character and their nature. And, and it's, just, it's, how, it's who they became. And so people took names very seriously. Your name had a meaning that was connected to who you were. And so what Moses is asking God is, what is your personal name? In other words, God, you are asking me to do the impossible. You are asking me to go in front of Pharaoh and lead these people out of slavery. And these people are going to want to know, well, who was it that sent you? What is his name? In other words, what is it about his name? What is it about this God that you say is sending you? Tell us who he actually is because we need to know that he, this is for real that we can, he can be trusted. We need to know if he can really do this. So what is his name? Who is he actually? That's what they're asking. What is his name? Now, you know, the common opinion is that the reason why they would want to know this God's name is because for 400 years they had lived in Egypt and they're surrounded by Egyptian gods and maybe you know the names of some of them. There's, you know, Iris and Ra and all these Egyptian gods and they each had their specific domain and jurisdiction, you know, the god of, of women and children and the god of the sun and so on. And so it's a lot of commentators feel that this is why the people, God's people would want to know, well, what's this God's name? But I think, there, I think it's more than that. I think they were asking for a revelation of his character, as I said. They were asking for a revelation of his character. And so how did God answer that? In verse 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. You've probably heard this, I'm sure. We've all heard, you know, the great I am. There's a song about that, the great I am. And it might seem perhaps mysterious, obscure, confusing, puzzling. For you grammar nerds, we have a subject and a linking verb, but no subject complement. I am. I am what? What does that even mean? I'll tell you what God was saying to Moses and what he wanted Moses to say to the people of Israel. 
I am means, first of all, I exist. I exist. I, the real God, the one and only true God, exists. See, see, that's the question people really need to be asking. Everybody, I believe, has some sense that there's something out there. There's got to be more than this. There's got to be some higher power, some force. I think most people have that sense that, yeah, I think there's, there's got to be something more than just the material world. But few people go further and ask, well, what's his name? What's his name? What's his name? I mean, what's his name? What is the name of the true God? Because there's all kinds of names of all kinds of gods. And they have specific abilities and characteristics and jurisdictions and domains. But the question that we should be asking as humans is, God, if, if there's a true God, what is his name? What is, who actually is he? What's the name of the true God? And so God answers Moses, and he says, you tell them, I am is the one who sent you to them. In other words, I exist outside the limits of human understanding. I exist outside the confines of the time-space dimension. We're going to get into what all this means for you and me personally every day. I exist outside the t confines of the time-space dimension. I exist in eternity. I live in the eternal realm. I am self-sustaining, self-sufficient, self-existent, self-directed, utterly independent of anything and anybody. I am all-encompassing, sovereign, infinite, I am the absolute reality. I am uncategorizable. I am the very defi definition of existence. I am not created by human hands or in the human mind. I am present. I am there. You could say very simply this means I am the God who is there. I am there. I will become what you need me to become. Perhaps the most literal understanding of this phrase, I am, is in the, in the original Hebrew, he who becometh. It's a, it's a form of the verb to be. I will be who you need me to be. I am. Whatever you need, I am. Whatever you have had or don't have, I am. Whatever you fear or anticipate, I am. Haven't had a mother, I am that for you. Haven't had much of a father, I am that for you. Need a brother, need a friend, I am that for you. Are you afraid, alone, insecure, scared, worried, frustrated, anxious, depressed, discouraged? I am the answer for that. He who becometh. I am who I am. In other words, God exists to be for you anything and everything you need him to be. I am. 
am. So with that thought, I want to go to Matthew 8. God having introduced himself by name, I am Matthew 8. Now start reading in verse 23, a story I'm sure most of us are probably familiar with. I hope that made that clear. I mean, I've thought about this phrase for years, and it's just by nature of its very meaning makes it hard to articulate. It makes it hard to define. It, it just makes it hard to explain because its actual meaning is, I am unexplainable. Did that make sense? Am I really messing with your mind? <laughs> but there's a powerful truth. We have to understand how unique God is to any other little g God that claims to be in existence. This God says, no, I really am in existence. I am. I am. I am completely so self-deficient that I don't even need a, uh, a continuation of this sentence. I am. I hope it becomes clear. Matthew 8, verse 23. Matthew 8, 23. Now when he, Jesus, got into a boat, his disciples followed him, and suddenly a great tempest arose on the sea so that the boat was covered with the waves, but he was asleep. I am <laughs> asleep in the storm. He doesn't need to be worried. He doesn't need to be afraid. He doesn't need to be freaking out. He is everything he needs to be, even in a storm. But they don't know that yet. But he was asleep. Then his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us. We are perishing. We haven't changed very much at all in 2,000 years. Hashtag 2021. We're perishing. We're in trouble. No, we haven't changed. These are Jesus' followers. These are Jesus' disciples. We are perishing. Such faith. And he said to them, verse 26, Why are you fearful, O you of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. Verse 27 says, so the men marveled, saying, who can this be, that even the winds and the sea obey him? What is your name? What am I supposed to tell people? Who on earth are you? Who in eternity are you? Who are you? What is your name that even the winds and the sea obey you? There's another storm coming because there will always be other storms coming. And with each storm comes a greater revelation of who God is if you let him reveal himself to you, if you listen in the storm. So there's another storm. Let's go to Matthew, 5, Matthew 14 and read about the other storm. Matthew 14, same place, 
The Sea of Galilee, it's actually a lake. I think it's the lowest freshwater lake in the world. And because of the way it's situated there, you know, between the mountains, it's known for sudden, without warning, violent storms. So they're used to this. They're fishermen. And so Matthew 14, verse 22, it says, Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat. Now, let me just explain what's going on here. Literally, it's when it says he made them, he strongly urged them. Why did he strongly urge them to get into the boat immediately? Well, if you put it in context, he's just fed 5,000 people with one meal that he has miraculously multiplied. And John, when John reports this in chapter 6, John tells us that they wanted to take him by force right then and make him king, their earthly king of Israel. And again, we haven't changed in 2,000 years. We still think very erroneously that an earthly king can save us. And sadly, we need to stop preaching that gospel and preach this gospel. I'm not saying don't get invo involved in politics. We'll be talking about this on Wednesday nights. I'm very involved in politics. I think I've talked about politics more in the past few months than I have in my whole entire life. I'm passionate about the way things are. But I also know who the Messiah is. I know who our eternal King of kings and Lord of lords is, and I know where our trust and hope has to be. And so we'll get to, we'll get to that. Um, and I've promised you I'm going to be talking more about that, and I'm, I'm just listening. I'm waiting on God's timing. Uh, and I'll say what he wants me to say when he wants me to say it, as much as he wants me to say it. And it might be sprinkled here and there. I don't know. Anyway, so they... they you know, he's just fed the 5,000, and they're, they, they, they're trying to force him to be their, earth, their Messiah. Like, they think he's an earthly king. And the disciples were in on it. They were in on this. So he says, you get in the boat right now. We are leaving this scene. And it says, it says uh, while he sent the multitudes away. So you can imagine trying to send a multitude of people away who are trying to force you to become the king right now, set you up on the throne to be the king of Israel. He sends them away. He's got something greater for his disciples. He's got this realm of eternity that he wants his disciples to live in. He's, and so he, he urges them immediately to get into the boat. That's the context. And when he had sent the multitudes away, verse 23, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. We need to take note of that. I don't know how you and I think we can ever hope to walk victoriously through this life if we are not taking time. I mean quality time. Quality means quantity. You give me a piece of steak that big, that might be a quality piece of steak, but it didn't do much for me. It's the same with our prayer life. And Jesus took gobs of time alone in the mountains to pray. If Jesus needed to pray in order to live this life here on earth, why would we think we can get by on, on a flimsy prayer life? I'm speaking to myself. I want to uh, get better at that. So when evening came, Jesus was alone there, but the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now in the fourth watch of the night... This would be between 3 and 6 a.m. Jesus was up a lot praying through the night. Jesus went to them walking on the sea. 
And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled. Understatement of the century. Saying, it is a ghost. And they cried out for fear. Well, yeah. If you were out on the sea in a storm, and you see some person walking to you on the water, yeah, you're probably going to be afraid. And we don't get the idea that it was kind of like a Mount of Transfiguration experience where he was in all his glory. I mean, it probably just looked like G, like a man. He's, you know, maybe the moonlight was shining on him. I don't know. But they were afraid. They cried out for fear. But, eventually, uh, but immediately, verse 27, but immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. If what Jesus said was a sandwich, be of good cheer and do not be afraid would be the bread. <laughs> and the meat of that sandwich is this stunning revelation. It is I. Did you know that if you look in the original Greek, what he is actually literally saying, anyone guess? I am. I am. I am. It's the same exact Greek word that he uses in John chapter 8, verse 57. John chapter 8, verse 57. He's, he's, uh, the Jews are debating him, the Jewish leaders who are against him. They're challenging him on his authority, his authority by which he thinks he can say these things. And, and they realize he seems like he's claiming to be God, and they're challenging him on that. And, and at one point, Jesus says, Abraham was so happy to see my day. And they're like, what, are you mad? And they say to him, in John 8, uh, 57, then the Jews said to him, you're not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? Then Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. The Greek word is, I think it's E-I-M-I. And it says, then they took up stones to throw at him. You know why? Because that was blasphemy. And according to Leviticus, if someone claims to be God, if they blaspheme, the whole assembly should come together and stone them. He has just made a strong assertion that he is God by saying the exact same words that God spoke to Moses that day. You tell them, I am has sent you. And here's Jesus saying the same thing. So then we go back to uh, Matthew. Oh, another instance. I just want to quickly point out another instance. We don't have to turn there. But in John 18, you might remember when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane and the, the temple leaders and, with the Roman officers, they come to the garden to arrest Jesus on the night of his trial. They come to the garden to arrest him. And uh, Jesus says to them, who are you looking for? And they say, you know, we're looking for, for Jesus of Nazareth or how, whatever they say, but it's like that. You know how Jesus answered? I am. And it says when he said those words, they fell back. I have told you 
that I am he. See, the English doesn't translate it well. In the original Greek, he's saying the same exact thing that he says here in the water. I am. I have told you, I am. And it says, John reports in, in 18.6, when he said, I am, they drew back and fell to the ground. Why? Because that's the power of God revealing himself in that moment. It's called revelation. And revelation can be so powerful, so forceful, that it can overcome even the, the law of gravity and the rules of physics. And so that's what's happening here. So let's go back to the Sea of Galilee. So they're afraid. They think it's a ghost. Verse 27, Matthew 14, 27, immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, Be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter, dear, dear Peter, dear, dear, dear Peter, verse 28, Peter says the strangest thing to Jesus. Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, if that's who you are, I mean, I, we, don't, we can't climb into Peter's head, but I just imagine in that instant something clicked. Something just came together like electricity in Peter's heart, in his spirit. See, revelation happens to your spirit. It's not an intellectual thing. It's a quickening, we call it. It's, it's truth. Something, the light came on, and, and Peter's like, what I am, what, that I am? Like Moses? That's who you are? And maybe his mind goes back to the previous storm. Maybe he had been the one even to say, who is this? That even the winds and the sea obey him. Now it's clicking. Be of good cheer. I am. Do not be afraid. Lord, if it is you, if that's who you are, you're not just master who can heal the sick and feed the hungry and raise the dead. But if you are, I am, if that's who you are, all these, all the dots are coming together. Can I get some water, please? Thank you, sweetheart. Got to keep her awake. Just kidding. She's doing well. She's not asleep. Um, where was I? All the dots are, are coming together, you see. Everything that that phrase means, that name means, I am. It's all coming together for Peter. All the dots are being connected. And he's thinking, wait a minute. I am. Even the winds and the sea obey him. This, this is God. He has the power over the elements. He is I am. Thank you. He defies Every law of physics, he, de he defies every law of nature confined within this small, tiny existence of mine. I mean, revelation is blowing now in Peter's heart like a, like a windstorm. He's putting it all together, and he's realizing that's why you're walking on the water. And besides... You told us to pray our father. Our means our. Your father is my father, but somehow you're also God. God the son. 
If you told me to pray our Father as you do, but you are also God, then maybe it can only mean I can do what you can do, what you're doing right now. Because you're God and I am not, but our Father. Jesus said, I can only do what the Father tells me to do. I wish I had time to go into Philippians 2, the self-emptying of Christ. He's not doing this. He has laid aside his divine power and privileges while maintaining his deity. It's the power of God that is enabling him right now to walk on the water. And Peter suddenly gets that. He realizes, you are the I am. You are God. And that's why I can be of good cheer. And not be afraid, but it's not just that. That must mean that the I am somehow can empower me to live in submission to our Father in such a way that if you are doing it, overcoming to this degree, maybe I can too. And so we have the craziest prayer request in the world. Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. You notice he did not do as he did during the last storm. Because again, every storm, greater revelation of who God is to you. Should be. Don't waste your storms. So what he, what he does not say, we are perishing. He does not merely ask for the storm to cease. You know what they said in Mark, I think, when Mark, I think it's in Mark, when Mark details the, uh, the, another storm, they actually said to Jesus, don't you care that we are perishing? Assuming that God must not care. You know why they didn't have that revelation? I am everything you need. I am all in all. I am for you. They didn't have that revelation, so, so it caused them to doubt God's character. Don't you care that we are perishing? I think they said that in, in Mark. So Peter, the craziest prayer request in the world. I mean, how, what do our prayer requests sound like? Please pray that God will make this all go away. I'm so tired of it. I can't take it anymore. Pray that this storm will cease. And we see that he does. He can calm a storm. He also did not merely observe the miraculous. Even the winds and the sea obey him. Something is happening in Peter. He's got greater revelation of who God is. I mean, he could have stayed in the boat and said, guys, do you see that? He's walking on the water. He didn't stay there. He says, Lord, if it's you, if that is actually who you are all this time, then command me to come to you on the water. And notice he also asked Jesus to command him to come on the water. He didn't just jump out and do it. I, you know why I think that is? I think it's because he really wanted to know in his heart that God wanted him to walk on the water. This happened here just this way, just the way it did. Because in that four-letter word, that four-letter answer from Jesus, when Jesus said, come, what I hear in my spirit is, command you to come on the water, Peter. I've been waiting for this. 
Of course you can come. Someone gets it. Peter, come on. Come. It's like we, we in, our, in, our, in our fallen selves, we, we feel like we need God's permission to be victorious. And the answer is, come on already. The water's fine. Jump in. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. Deeper revelation of who God is raises your prayers, elevates your prayers to a more Christ-like, God-like, I am way of living. We start to be bold and ask for daring, audacious things of God. We start to sound like Peter. Some commentators say, oh, you know, this is typical Peter being impulsive. I don't think so. I, don't th- I think this is Peter having a revelation of, of who God was. If, that, if that's you, command me to come on the water. God's will for us always is to be victorious, to walk on top of the waves, to not be under them all the time. But it says in verse 30, so he's walking on the water, but thir- verse 30 says, when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. You know, it's natural. It's a part of our human nature, which is still at war with our, the divine nature that God has given us, and, and we are to reckon that dead, like inoperative, Romans 6. But it's perfectly natural. We all do this. We all get afraid. Even Paul. I'm encouraged when I read the writings of Paul, and he's writing to the Corinthians, and he talks about how he's got all this stuff going on on the outside, and he says, and he mentions several times, or at least more than once, my fears. He says, besides all this, I've got inner fears. Paul struggled with fear. Paul struggled with fear, but you know what? He didn't stay there. And Peter didn't stay below the waves. And I think that is the difference. Everybody at some point sinks. Everybody at some point takes their eyes off Jesus and they see the wind. It says when he saw, uh, when he saw that the wind was boisterous. We all do that. We get our eyes off Jesus and we see the boisterous wind. And then we sink. Well, what's the boisterous wind? Well, you know. I don't have to tell you. You know what your boisterous wind is? We see the headlines. Maybe it's finances. Maybe it's a a bank account. Maybe it's a, a diagnosis. Maybe it's a relationship that you feel just might take you under. I think there's a boisterous wind right now speaking to the church I just want to say this. It's been very much on my heart. There are these modern day, the the prophetic movement. And these are God, these are brothers and sisters. I respect them. And I do believe in the prophetic. I do. I I believe the prophetic is for today. And I do believe God can speak through people. I believe in, in the gift of prophecy. And so just, and you might not even know about this. If you don't, just, you know, put this on a shelf. 
But a lot of the church is really caught up in this right now, these prophetic voices saying very specific things concerning our nation and our president, presidents. You know, and they've been saying these things for a while, and it's like this boisterous wind that can occur when if we, if we get our eyes off Jesus and listen too much to these voices, and then they don't, the things they say don't come to pass. That would be a boisterous wind, and it will absolutely cause you to sink. I've heard people, I have heard people say, if that man, what he says doesn't come to pass, I'm going to need a 12-step program, verbatim. Someone said that. I've heard people say, I'm losing my faith. I feel like I'm losing my faith. I actually think there are gonna, there's going to be mass delusionment if these guys wrongly speak on God's behalf. So for right now, what I'm going to say is, if what they say doesn't ultimately come to pass because some are still saying, well, you know, this is going to happen in a couple months, if it doesn't come to pass, they will have to give an account before God, most especially for all the people they left disillusioned. But what do we do, the listeners? We keep our eyes on Jesus. We keep our eyes on Jesus. We listen to Jesus. He's our final authority. We take what they say and, they say, and we say, time will tell. But we, if, you're, if, you're, if we're holding, hanging all our hopes on these words, that's the waves. They're noisy after a while. They're confusing. And they make us tossed to and fro, Paul warned Timothy. Don't be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Be stable. Be strong in the faith. So that would be a wind. I just wanted to mention that. When he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. <laughs> Lord, save me. If Peter can so easily get thrown off track that he'd have to say, Lord, save me, <laughs> because he has so gotten his eyes off of Jesus and sunk beneath the waves to the point of near drowning, we can be encouraged because we're not alone. I mean, Peter, that's pretty good company, right? But what happens? He doesn't stay there. He doesn't stay there. He doesn't live there. It's not like he spent most of his time with his head barely above the water. No, I think most of his time he was walking on the water because his eyes were on Jesus. And then he had that moment where he took his eyes off because he saw the waves. Oh, no, what they're saying isn't coming to pass. What are we going to do? The world is ending. See? That's the boisterous waves. You got to get your eyes back on Jesus. Listen to him. Listen to the right voice. What does Jesus do? Well, buddy, sorry. I guess you screwed up. Don't ever try that again. <laughs> no. Jesus, the I am, immediately stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? It's not condemnation. It's instruction. And it's a question you and I need to take some time to answer for ourselves. Why do you doubt? Do you not know who this is walking toward you on the water? This is the I am, the all-sufficient one. Some of his other names are there on our wall. I put them there purposely 
He's our provider. He's our banner. That's a war, that's a, a war uh, emblem. He is our peace. He's the God who heals. He is our righteousness. Thank God I don't have to rely on my own righteousness because that'll beat you down. The Lord is present. The Lord is our shepherd, and those are just some of them. Why did you doubt? Not a statement of condemnation, but a question of heart instruction. Lord, teach me this about myself. Why do I doubt you? Why do I find it so easy to take my eyes off of your face and worry about what's happening all around me? Why do I continually go back to that so quickly and so easily? Verse 32 says, when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Isn't that amazing? Jesus didn't calm the storm till they were back in the boat. See, we don't think about that. We picture Peter walking on the water and the seas as smooth as glass. I've always pictured it that way. No, he's like surfing barefoot. Jesus had not calmed the storm yet. See, that's the thing. He wants us to walk on top of the storm. We want him to wait and calm the storm, and then we might dip a toe in if it feels safe enough. No, this is the I am saying, come on, the water's fine because I am. Don't worry about the storm. He wants us to walk on top of the water in the storm. And then we've, when we've learned what he wants us to learn, that we've got to keep our eyes on him if we don't want to sink, then the lesson's over. All right. Good job, Peter. Let's get back in the boat. Storm. You're done. He's so gentle and patient and loving and kind. And he's a wonderful teacher. It says, those who were with him in the boat, verse 33, came and worshipped him saying, truly, you are the son of God. This is a statement of deity. Not one of God's sons, the son of God. Truly, you are the I am. You really are the I am. Are you challenged today? Got a storm? Been watching the waves too much? Been sinking much? Yeah. Me too. We're with Peter. Good company. But I pray that God gives us a deeper revelation of who he is to us. What do I tell them your name is? You tell them I am. I am who I am. I am who I will. I will be who I will be. I will become who I will become. Everything you need. Everything you need, whatever you need. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we love you.
We thank you. Lord, would you strengthen our faith? Oh, we of little faith. Would you forgive us for taking our eyes off you, Jesus? For listening to human voices more than we listen to your voice. Would you forgive us for that, Lord? And that includes the voice of the evil one who so wants to take us under. Oh, Father, forgive us. Open our eyes to see the I am walking toward us on the storm and even saying, come, walk with me. Walk with me on the storm. Walk with me on top of the waves. Trust me. I'm never going to let you go. I'm never going to let you drown. And when you stumble, I'm going to take your hand and lift you back up. Walk with me. Walk with me. Because I am. Thank you, Lord. We love you and we worship you. How great thou art. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Just want to say before you're, you may be dismissed, but if you need prayer, personal prayer this morning, I just want to invite you to come up, find a place up front, and uh, we'll pray for you. Um, yeah, if you feel that you're sinking, you've been battling some kind of raging storm, and you would like the, the ministry of personal prayer over you this morning, I want to invite you to just come up here. Uh, otherwise, you may be dismissed.